hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Hey there, we've got a great podcast for you today, filled with stories and tips from a man who at one time was possibly the most senior executive that is out executive in America. It was our pleasure to have this conversation with him and be able to share it with you. But before we jump into the show, though, I want to ask you a question. Do you appreciate it when companies support our LGBT community? We figure you said yes, so we want to call out Mass Mutual, who has recently rebranded their website, and they have an image of a lesbian couple in an intimate position on the cover of their website. Mass Mutual is a company that is supporting us and is supporting this podcast. All right, let's get on with the show to this great interview. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. All right, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We actually have what uh, is our first, very first returning guest on Queer Money. Our first, very first episode was about coming out at work. And one of the interesting or funny things that's happening right now is our guest is coming to us from inside the closet. Literally, he is <laughs> recording, recording this episode sitting in the closet of his bedroom <laughs> so, that, yes. so that the sound is much better for you all. So we'll go ahead and bring Jay Allen on the show. Jay Allen, well, welcome back to our Queer Money Show. Thanks. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Yes, we're excited to have you. So like David said, we had you on our first episode where we talked about coming out at work. And the reason that we invite you, invited you to that show is because uh, we are former colleagues. Uh, David and I used to work at Charles Schwab when you were executive vice president there. And um, you were we kind of um, adopted you maybe unsolicited as our un- un- unsolicited mentor. <laughs> and um, uh, we had a great relationship with you there. And we thought, what, what better um, opportunity than to have you on our show to talk about uh, the risks and challenges of, of coming out at work and how to overcome those. So uh, we wanted to bring you back as uh, one of the things we like to do on our show is to talk about... Um, people, uh, successful people in our community and how they get got to where they got so we can maybe um, learn and be inspired from your story. And we wanted to bring you back to talk about um, how you went from, I guess, New York, apparently, to um, EVP of a Fortune 500 company. Okay, great. Absolutely. So at the time you were uh, working at Charles Schwab, you were one of the highest ranking, I think, out gay professionals in the country at the time. Was that... I think I was probably among the highest ranking. I mean, there are, well, the, the question is out and how out is out. <laughs> right. uh, so I never was in the closet uh, at, at Schwab or, or nearly my entire career. And so that may be the case. I know there have been lots of other folks who've been lesbian and gay men who have been executives of companies, but they've been in various degrees of being out. Mm-hmm. What was one one of the biggest things that happened to you in the last couple of years at Charles Schwab? What are your what are your, one of your uh, most inspiring or happiest stories of of those of that time? Um, you know, well, I retired from Charles Schwab in June of 2015. I'm, I'm still doing some consulting work with them and I, and with some other clients, but I retired in June of 2015. And I'd have to say that the probably the happiest or or um, it's going to sound very funny to say, but one of the most touching moments was actually when I when I left and when I decided to retire, and what I heard from people about 
what my impact had been and what they were going to miss and and why that was so um, important for me or, or what I got from it was that I felt like uh, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily all of the hardcore cold business kinds of things but it was the impact that I'd had on the way that they think about their own careers or how they show up at work or a lot of people just uh, being willing to be honest about uh, what they wanted, whether that was about being out at work or or just what you were good at, what you didn't want to, what you weren't good at, what you wanted to do, what you didn't want to do, um, and just really encouraging people to be who they were. Right. Actually, that's something that you said that had a major impact on John and I and our um, our desire to continue to grow and do more. We recently wrote an article for Forbes, and one of the things we talked about in that Forbes article was the need for more senior leaders in corporations that are queer, um, individuals who are out, because it's the, that leadership that then fosters that relationship uh, with with other others and helps them either come out or shows that it's there's so much of a, of an opportunity for us that we can grow and we shouldn't feel like we need to be held back because of who we are or the fact that we are out right or that i mean quite honestly uh it's a it's a it's a hard one for me sometimes to articulate on the one hand you never want your uh your, the fact that you're gay, I, I never wanted the fact that I was gay to be that which defined me at work because it's a business. Um, you know, I, I very much accept the fact that it's a business that was there to make money, that, that we were serving stockholders, and that I wanted to be judged on the same basis as everyone else for how I performed and what I did. At the same time, I think being completely who you are and authentically who you are is the only way you can be at your best and actually perform at your best. Exactly. Yeah, it, I think one of the things that John and I touched on in that article was, and actually a recent uh, discussion that we had with some uh, university students at the University of Akron, was this idea that as we grow as leaders, as we grow in our strength in whatever industry we, in, we are in, that becomes what shines. It's not the fact that we are, it's not our gender identity or sexual orientation that matters anymore. What matters is the contribution that we're giving back to the community or the organization or the company that we're working in. And mm -hmm. it's, that's what becomes more important, especially to the individuals who are around us who may still need some encouragement to <laughs> accept uh, our gender identity or sexual orientation. Right. And you know, there's so much there's so much talk now. I think along those lines, there's there's so much talk, and you'll read so much literature about authentic leadership and the importance of leaders, particularly now as jobs have changed and the balance. You know, when when people were uh, working on assembly lines or it was mechanical processes, and you could have a top down, uh, uh, very directive organization. Uh, you know, I don't, we didn't hear people talking about authentic leadership. It was the age of the organization man. Now, uh, where most people are knowledge workers and they, uh, they, they own the skills and there are a lot of the intellectual property that a company has, then leadership becomes much more important. And I don't know how you could truly be an authentic leader if you weren't truly who you were. 
right. which meant accepting being out of work. Um, you know, if you got a question about someone's integrity hmm, and they're in the closet, gee, you got a problem right off the bat. Yeah. Right. And I would say that argue that that's that's applicable no matter what level of leadership you're in, whether, you know, you're in middle management or you're a customer service rep. There's still that need to be authentic so that you can be the best that you can be in that particular role. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what um, give us a little bit of background about your story, if you don't mind, and, and how that kind of uh, informed your accomplishments later on in life, both personally and professionally. Uh, well, I'm an old guy, so I don't, I don't want to take up the whole time talking about my story, but, um, well, I was, I was raised in upstate New York and, and, uh, you know, I was raised in a fairly conservative family. My mom's a really wonderful individual and very, very accepting. And I think, um, uh, you know, she was a product of, of a very conservative upbringing, but, but she was, she's a very warm and loving individual, which I am very fortunate, um, to have had that because I think it helped shape me and made it so much easier for me to accept who I was. But, you know, I was raised as a Southern Baptist uh, until I was in the seventh grade. And then there's an odd story about that. We ended up going to the Episcopal church because in a small town, there's only a limited number of options. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, uh, you know, I didn't come out until I was about 25. I went to college. I uh, went to Cornell and uh, graduated from Cornell. I was young when I went to college and I, uh, wasn't of drinking age, which probably was a very good thing because it meant I actually studied more. Uh, when other people were out having fun, I was in my dorm room writing the papers I needed to read, write and uh, reading what I needed to read. But I, I uh, graduated from Cornell and went to work. And for the, I think, pretty much as a way of dealing with the fact that I knew that I was gay but not ready to come out because I had a very hard time accepting that uh it was okay. In fact, my, in my head, uh, early on in my career, this notion of coming out and having a career that they just seemed diametrically opposed. I felt like if I acknowledged that I was gay and anyone found out, I'd have to give up my job and my career. And I'd have to, I don't know, I, I don't know what I thought I'd have to do, go be a bank teller or I, I, I don't know. But I didn't think that I could um, pursue the career that I was in. Uh, and and uh, at some point that all came to a head when I was about 25, and uh, it's, it's an odd story, but I, I, I got an award at work and I took a vacation and uh, decided to go on vacation to San Francisco at the time and spent all that money that I had gotten for the award to go to San Francisco, and it just opened my eyes up, and I thought, you know what, I can't live this way anymore. So I went back to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was living, and I decided I was going to quit my job because I still believe that if I was going to be out, I couldn't have a career. And I quit my job, and I was going to quit my job and uh, move to San Francisco, sell my house, sell all my belongings. And uh, I'm really fortunate that a guy that I worked for at IBM at the time uh, was really perplexed by this bizarre behavior. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he was the head of HR for this particular location in Raleigh, North Carolina, a guy named Bob Lang, who I, I uh, just, I, I think he's done me such a great service. He's, he wanted to see me and talk to me and basically looked me in the eye and said, what? And he didn't use these words, but it was like, what the hell is going on? And uh, what's, what's, what's wrong with you? And 
at that moment, something told me that I could trust him. And so I told him uh, that, you know, that I had been struggling with the fact that I was gay and, you know, I, I needed to deal with that. And I didn't think I could continue my job at IBM uh, if I did that. And he said to me, um, look, you can be or do anything you want. The fact that you're gay it isn't, doesn't mean you have to give up your career at IBM, doesn't have to mean you have to give up a professional career. You're a very, very talented guy. Um, you don't have to give up anything. And if what you want to do is transfer to California, fine. Make a reservation for a flight out there tomorrow. I'll get you some interviews. But uh, don't, don't make this mistake in your life. And uh, that was a really important moment for me. And it was, I, I, it sort of set me back. I, I really had to pay attention to what he was saying. And um, the shorter version of the story, it's not that short already, <laughs> is I transferred to California uh, with IBM. I was there within three weeks. Wow. And, and, uh, and I, I never questioned from that point forward because I, I believed in this guy enough. And he said it was such conviction uh, that I went, no, you know what? Um, it's not so much that I believe I can have it all, but it's there, there'll be a place where it will be okay for me to be me and I can have a career. And, uh, and so I moved to California. I worked for IBM for another, at that point, I guess, nine years. And when I left, I, I decided to leave for a couple of reasons. One is uh, IBM was in real turmoil. It was before Lou Gerstner came and uh, sort of the first turnaround of IBM. And I really felt like the work I was doing in HR, that that was part of the problem with IBM struggles. They were holding on too much to um, some long-held practices that were getting, getting in the way of them being financially successful. And But the other was, I knew that the fact that I was gay was going to get in the way of me having any more advancement at IBM. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to be a victim. I, I, uh, I don't think I'm wired that way. I think the way I'm wired is um, I'm really okay with, I guess I'm, I, I don't like it, but I'm really okay with people having whatever, whatever views they have of me, my work, my sexual orientation, um, how I live my life, but I'm not going to let that define what I do or, or how I feel. And so I thought, you know, you should leave, go someplace where, uh, or create a career where you can do what you want to do. And I, and I really thank Bob Lang for that, too, because I think he set me set that in motion or reinforced what was already inside of me to do that. So I left and I went out on my own as a consultant for a while and then um, and then decided I'm not great as a consultant. Uh, I like being in the company. I like being part of a team uh, that that's fun for me. And uh, coaching other leaders is something I really enjoy doing. And so I went back uh, into a small uh, technology company, software company, and then the rest of my career is sort of successfully larger companies. Uh, Schwab came about because I had been with GE in Japan and really loved working for GE. I had great respect for the company and the way it was run and how they value HR and, and what they think the role of HR is in stewarding talent and assessing talent and making sure you have the right people in the right jobs at the right time. And uh, I, but I couldn't stay. My partner, now my husband, at the time, uh, we had made the decision to raise his grandson, and so I needed to get back to the Bay Area, and that's how I ended up at Schwab. Um, 
which I'd never really wanted to work in financial services per se, but uh, I needed a job. And it was a really <laughs> difficult time in San Francisco after the tech bubble had burst. There was still a bit of a hangover. There are lots of people with the title um, VP of HR, SVP of HR. And so I interviewed. It was a good opportunity. And um, I took the job and then stayed there for 14 years. Wow. Yeah. It's so you story. progressively just you took your time and progressively worked your way up through the ranks or the uh, various corporations that you worked with. But it was the fact that you were pushing for that kind of career advancement, which is what landed you in the, in the senior role that you and eventually retired from. Right. Well, you know, that's an interesting question or that's an int- I, I never I never had a goal. It, it's again. I want to be. I want to be um, uh, honest about this. I, I never had a goal of being the EVP of HR at Schwab or saying I want to be the. I want to be the head of HR at a Fortune 500 company. That was not in my sights. Now I, I also know that I'm wired in a certain way. Um, there, you know, we spent a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time working with Gallup on strengths. So, and I, and I'm pretty aware of what my strengths are, you know, I'm a, I'm an achiever. So I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I want to, I want to achieve, I want to get things done, you know, a good day where you can't say you accomplished something tangible. Uh, (laughs) that's not a good day if you can't. And, and I also uh, have this, um, strength called command, which, uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to do it justice, but basically like I, I, I like taking charge. And if nobody's going to, if you're sitting around the room and everybody's sort of going like, well, who should do this? Who should do this? Who should do this? I'm going to be the one that's going to can't stand it. And it's going to say, great. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this, which, um, I hope that throughout my life and my career, I've moderated that with, empathy and compassion for folks and, uh, you know, fairness, uh, because if it were unbridled, it's, it's a, it's completely annoying. Uh, but, but, um, I think that's what led to me getting promoted that achievement orientation and that command. And I like solving problems. Uh, restorative is very high for me, but it wasn't a career decision and design that said, I'm going to go for that. And I know people who they, they, they did that. I, I have colleagues and friends from college. Um, I think of the woman who had been at uh, The Gap and had been their head of HR for many years. I mean, she set that out as her, not The Gap, but she set it out as her goal. She was going to be the head of HR um, and she was going to get there fast. Uh-huh. And she did. Uh, but that wasn't me. And I took lots of side turns and side trips and it wasn't a direct route. And, um, yeah, it, it came about in a very different way. So would you say your success is more dictated by your quest for self-actualization and less about career advancements or, um, outward success? Wow. Um, I'm not sure it's about self-actualization. 
but I do think it's more of an expression. Uh, it's more of an expression of my strengths applied to the jobs I found themselves in. I mean, people ask me, so what's your advice to people uh, in their careers to get ahead? And I always say, don't worry about the next job. Don't worry about your ultimate job. Uh, do the very best in the one that you've got. Mm -hmm. Make a difference. Have an impact. Um, get people to notice you by what you do and how you contribute, and and it will and the rest will be taken care of. And I think I think that was more more me. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do the very best that I know how to do in this job, and I think that's what got me the other ones. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it, that makes sense. I mean, I think when you oftentimes think of the path that most people are on, they're always looking to the future and they're not spending as much time or energy or effort on what's going on right now. And they won't get to that future if they don't do, like you said, do what you are doing right now, do that well so that you can have the opportunity to move on. Yeah. And you know, the other thing I think that played out for me in addition to that was uh, curiosity. So I have a, I've always been, well, I've always been curious. That's the nice way to put it. The not not as nice way to put it is that you're nosy uh, and you want to stick your nose in everything. But really, I am very curious and I want to know. I want to know how things work. I want to know what's going on. And so, I also took some jobs in my career that were not obvious choices, but they were so doggone interesting. So the best example of that was um, after being a consultant, I was offered a, a consulting gig at a company that was a startup and they were kind of startup cobbled together from two or three other companies being pulled together, but then they were venture backed and there was some venture backing and they were going to go IPO. And I went in and did the consulting gig and I went, wow, this is so fascinating. And I can do whatever I want to do. Like there's so much work here to be done. Uh, there's so much work here to be done. There's so much that needs to be accomplished uh, that if I say, hey, I want to go and handle all the insider trading reporting once we go public, they they didn't say, you why you? you you're not in finance. You're not in gov corporate governance. You're not in legal. They said, OK, uh, you know, have at it. And uh, and so that job. Quite honestly, I took a little bit of a pay cut when I went on board full time because they were small. And I was I was hoping that maybe the equity would make up for the difference, which it never really did. But um, but it was a phenomenal experience, and it helped me going forward because when I got into jobs like at GE or certainly at Schwab and the roles that I did at Schwab, I had knowledge of I had knowledge of areas and pieces of the business and of corporate governance that I never would have had, had I not had that experience. Right. It seems to me that that curiosity is, um, it meant that you had to work in an environment where it wasn't simple. It wasn't easy, something that you already knew, which when you work in that environment, that's where you gain your strength. That's where you learn and grow and, uh, and, you take on new skills because you're constantly being challenged by something you're not familiar with. I think that's true. Although I have to tell you, I, 
there's a part of me that has admiration for people who can go into something that is not necessarily simple, but is a well-oiled machine and optimize it. True. Because I am not, I, I and in all honesty, I'm not good at that. That's not. I I am better at going into a mess, <laughs> and 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 creating order out of the mess. But I never, I never really got excited. I do think it's related to that curiosity thing. I never really got excited about taking that which was working okay, pretty well. Um, and then going, how much better could this be? And what are the ways that I could optimize it? So I, I actually have a fair amount of um, uh, of high regard for people who can do that because I, I can't. I'm not. I'm not good at it. So David and I talk a lot about limiting beliefs, and it seems like from our experience and research that LGBT people, um, most of us suffer from limiting beliefs, but a little bit more so in the LGBT community because of the fact that we in many cases were bullied and picked on and disenfranchised when we were younger. It doesn't sound like you really had any of those limiting beliefs that a lot of us seem to be have inherently. I, I don't, well, I don't think that's really the case, but I think there was, um, there were some moments for me that changed my life. Um, I had a lot of limiting beliefs growing up and when I was young until I, and really until about that age 25 time, I mean, about what it meant to be gay. I mean, I, I really felt like I was, um, I, I was going to burn in hell and, uh, that I was so awful and so bad. And I was also very conscious that there was not a thing I could do about it. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think this up in my head, this attraction, this sexual attraction to men um, and this affectional attraction to men, because that's also very true for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not just it's not just about um, sex, but it's also about affection. Not that I don't love women and my sisters and my mother, but uh, and, and I. I, I like I said, I didn't believe you could have a career and be openly gay. I I felt like, and I and I I bought into a lot of the stereotypes about uh, that that we know are not true today, but about um, gay men are effeminate and not good athletes, and they they can't uh, you know they they they're good to be hairstylists and <laughs> um, but what. What happened for me, I think there are two things that happened. One I already told you about, and that was at work. And that made a huge difference for me. Having this man who I viewed as being very, very successful, who had no reason to um, go out on a limb for me or snow me or tell me something he didn't believe, who looked at me nearly with tears in his eyes and saying, you can be anything you want to be. You don't have to give anything up because you're gay professionally. There's no reason that would be a shame. That, that had a tremendous impact. But I, I have to say that before that happened, the other thing that happened for me is I went through, I, I was really seriously depressed. And um, I was seriously depressed. I had gone through some therapy uh, 
But, you know, I think I went to crappy therapists. I've gone to better ones since, <laughs> but I, I think I went to crappy therapists who didn't really deal with the, the, the fact that I was gay. But I remember vividly at some point, um, honestly thinking, well, maybe I should, maybe it would be better if I was dead. And which is a little different than saying maybe it would be better if I killed myself. You know, it was more of maybe this life isn't worth living and it doesn't matter whether I'm alive because I'm such a horrible person. And I don't know why I came to this, but I thought, you know what, Jay, you've spent like 24 years uh, or at least since puberty trying to cope with this. Although I knew before puberty that I was gay, uh, but like trying to cope with this trying to deal with it. You've been really depressed. You've been really upset. And I said to myself, you know what? I want to make you a deal. Um, you're going to embrace the fact that you're gay. You're going to start going out and meeting other gay people and get involved in gay stuff. I wasn't ready to come out of work, but you know, I was going to do that. And if the quality of your life isn't better, if you're not happier, fine. But you don't know. And you don't know if you'll be happier if you just embrace who you are and kind of, you know, to borrow Sheryl Sandberg's 50 years later, uh, <laughs> lean into it. If you don't lean into it, you, you don't know. Mm -hmm. So I almost I, I sort of made a deal with myself. You know, you're going to you're going to embrace this. You're going to you're going to see whether or not this makes you happier, if it's less stressful to live this way. And guess what? guess what? I was a lot happier yeah. and I was, and I was okay. And I think it was though, it was that period in my life, those couple of things when I went, mm, and it was the reaction of my mother and father, although that's too long a story to get into, but it was their reaction as well that, um, I went, I, 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 I I'm not going to give up anything because of this. And I really changed. That's so powerful. I, we, we had similar experiences, maybe separated by a few years. I remember driving on C470 to work one day, and I thought to myself, I can't continue to live this way. I'm going to just, I'm going to dip my toe into the quote unquote gay lifestyle, go out and start making some friends. And if I'm not happier within a year, I said the same exact thing, then I'll figure something else out. And or I'll, I'll go back to being straight or whatever. And, well, <laughs> and, it's kind of like, a, how much worse can it get? <laughs> no, exactly. And I, I remember that morning driving to work, I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be myself and see what happens. And if I have to go back in the closet a year later, I'll go back in the closet a year later. And I didn't actually go back in the closet a year later. Yeah. <laughs> Everything worked Those out. Those doors were ripped <laughs> off the hinges. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's very, uh, touching to hear your, your story because it sounds like it's, it's, it's very similar. And to me, I think it's just such an inspiration to those who might be struggling out there, out there who might be struggling with um, a similar, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a dilemma, um, situation, um, you know, that, that being honest and true to yourself uh, makes all the difference. And you can figure out your way if you have to. I want to stop there for a second. Notice that Jay said it was being himself that allowed him to grow and flourish. Today, there are a lot of people who want to prevent us from doing, the, doing that, and there are those who want to see us thrive. One company that wants to see us thrive is doing so by supporting the message of this podcast, the message of a financially strong queer community. 
We'd like to give some props to Mass Mutual for being a leader in supporting our LGBT community. Well, and you know, even today, uh, I mean, I, I hear so many people and living in San Francisco and in Palm Springs, I hear so many people say, well, who would have a problem with coming out today? I mean, given all the, you know, given how public it is and all the TV shows and it's always in the press and it's like, and gay marriage is, is we can have same sex marriage now. It's like, hold on. Here's the deal. <laughs> um, it really has to do with what you were taught as a child. And kind of what you were taught to believe about this part of yourself, either directly or indirectly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. I heard a comedian the other night, a gay comedian the other night, who was, who was doing this whole riff on, you know, coming out was such a stressful time for me because I told my mother and she was perfectly fine with it. And I thought I'd have to go through the year of drama. And, um, and I thought that's, I'm really great. I'm re it's really great that, that that um, is the case now that we have parents that are accepting and more and more and it, it, more and more accepting, letting their kids know that whatever whatever they are, they're, they're they'll, they'll love them. But it's still an inside job. Yes. Yeah. You're right. It, That's very poignant. It, you can you still have to struggle with the the internal conversation. And what's yeah. going on in your head, and and you know that's that was one of the big things for me was the internal conversation. I was also raised in a very religious household, and that that conversation of going that was going on in my head of okay, who's going to still be my friend? Mm -hmm. uh, who's going to be my community? Who are going to who are going to be my resources? And the, again, it's very similar. I waited until I was twenty six to come out, and all of that was because. I was struggling with uh, with the community that I would have to basically leave behind. But um, I I think one of the things we we say it's easy to easier today. I don't think anyone has it easy. You know whether you're living in the Bay Area and uh, or in New York, where some areas of New York where it just seems like it's not it's a, it's a non-issue, or mm -hmm. you're living in places like. North Carolina, Mississippi, uh, some some of the the red states <laughs> that may be perceived as much more difficult. Um, right. So it you you may be in an environment where no matter what color the state is or who the people around you, it's your upbringing or your family or the people you're around every day that you have to be comfortable with sharing. Right, and I think you know I, I do hope though that the journey that gay men and lesbians, transgender kids uh, go through though, becomes more like what, what every human being has to go through to sort of um, accept who they are, get to know, uh, get to know themselves better. You know, it's the, it's, it's, it's the, that, that the journey that we have to go um, is one that's more akin to what every human being goes through and confronting their own, the, the, the things about themselves that they don't like, or they don't accept, or they don't understand, um, or, or they think is wrong. Uh, I hope it becomes more like that, but that journey, I mean, I, we raised a, a teenager. Um, <laughs> so look, I, I get that, that everybody has their own. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he's a, he's a, uh, he's straight and I think he's, 
you know, he's straight and he's handsome and he's charming and smart. And he, he doesn't necessarily know that. Yeah. And he had to go through his own journey. And, uh, so I hope it does become more like that for us, but we still have our own, our own to deal with. Was overcoming those limiting beliefs and, and accepting who you were, did that help you in your career at all beyond just, um, putting them aside, but in terms of being able to overcome adversity and challenges? Uh, I do think it did. I mean, if the question is, and I don't think it's quite what you asked, but I, I think if the question is, is there a way that dealing with the fact that you were gay and accepting that and sort of dealing with those limiting beliefs helped you in your career? I definitely think so. Um, I had a guy, when I was retiring, I'll just tell you this little story at the beginning to sort of set the tone for it. I had this guy when I was retiring uh, who worked for me, and uh, and he was really, really talented, and I loved working with him. He was somewhat junior, but he, he handled a particular area of compensation. And when I announced that I was retiring and at my retirement party, he came up to me, and he said, you know, I really want to wish you well. He said, I'm just, I'm just so surprised that you're leaving. He said, uh, I, I, he said, you're, you're, you're relatively young. And, you know, I just thought you were defined by your job. Hmm. And I said, really? I said, what, what did I do? What, what, what did I do that made you feel like I was defined by my job? And, um, and he, he, he looked and he thought about it. He said, gee, I don't know. I don't know. Let me think about that. And I saw him recently after uh, I went to a retirement party for someone else after being retired for two years, we were talking. But I think one of the things that helped is I never, I never took the job and my career more seriously than it should have been taken Hmm. in my mind. It's not who I am. It's not me. Um, And I think going through what I went through really really helped. And now that I'm retired and I don't have that, uh, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't define me then. It doesn't, the loss of it doesn't define me now. And I think that really helped. That's one, uh, because I think you can put things in perspective and when it gets, yeah, I had stress. Yes. I was anxious about stuff. Yeah. There probably were times I woke up in the middle of the night worrying about my job, but at some level underneath it all, I always, always understood you know, uh, this isn't what life's about. Mm -hmm. This isn't what really matters in the end. Uh, and, and I could lose this job tomorrow and I will still be who I am. So, uh, that, that I think helped. Second is I think being, um, gay and I don't know, maybe there's some, maybe, maybe some scientist at some point years from now will discover there's actually some scientific basis for this. But um, I think I perceived things that were going on, uh, whether I was sitting in a meeting and given my role in HR, but whether I was sitting in a meeting, I could, I think it helped me really understand the dynamics and perceived behaviors and what was behind those behaviors in a way that really helped me be effective in my job. That is to say, I saw things other people didn't see. I don't think 
I, I don't think there's a lot of straight men my age who are conscious of some of the uh, some of the behaviors that are demeaning to women. Hmm. I really don't. I think as a gay man, I was more so. Not perfect. I'm not saying I'm, I saw everything, but I think I saw more of it. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I was more into the reading the nonverbal cues and the nonverbal behavior and how they might not be consistent with the verbal, what was being said, made me really um, hyper vigilant for spin and, uh, you know, a lack of transparency in corporate speak and stuff like that. So I, I just think it's a perception an ability to read situations and people that gave me a real edge in my job. So there sounds like there was a little bit of um, intuition there that, that served you. Yeah. 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 And what we know about intuition or what we're learning about intuition is that everybody thinks it's sort of this, it's, it's sort of magic, right? But if you read, uh, is it Kahneman, um, thinking fast and slow, you know, intuition is actually, uh, he, he makes this argument that that, that, that that thinking fast part, that intuition, we say it's our intuition, but there's actually a whole set of experiences that we've had either in our lives or in our, our, our uh, uh, genetic history that tells us this is how you should interpret that. Well, I think, I think mine is in, is got some encoding from the fact that I'm gay and experience the world a little bit differently. Yeah. How that's very interesting, and it makes me want to ask: How do you take care of yourself? Do you meditate? Do you exercise? How do you how do you get in touch with Jay Allen? Uh, I well, a lot of it is through exercise. So I started when I started working, and particularly when I came out, I started exercising. I've always had sort of an exercise regimen. Now my weights. Over my whole life, my weight's gone up and down, but it's pretty, stayed pretty steady now for the last 20, 20 years or so. But number one, I exercise. And for me, exercise is not uh, – and I'm not, it's not for me about a uh, team sport. You know, if I'm breaking, working out or now that I've taken up cycling, uh, that's really um, – it's really meditative. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's – uh, that, that's really meditating. And so I've tried meditation and uh, what I've opted for, this could sound really crazy, but it works. Um, what I've opted for is I don't, do, I can't do sitting meditation. I'm just not very good at it. Uh, my mind goes to my body and it's like, oh, gee, I want to move that. I want to move my leg. You know, <laughs> I want to I do this. I want to do that. So I tried walking meditation. That's better. Actually, I color. And, you know, they've done research on it and it has, if you get yourself absorbed in it, it has the same kind of, uh, kind of effect as meditation. And so I, I don't do that every day, but I do it, um, I do it with regularity. I am very, so that's two ways I take care of myself, exercise and that. I'm very picky about what I eat and by about not getting too hungry and not getting too full and eating really healthy food and, uh, and, and like fresh food. Like I, I try to not shop in the middle of the grocery store, <laughs> uh, but th those things, those things are really important. And then 
uh, for me, I need downtime and alone time. I am an, I'm on basically an introvert who learned to be extroverted. Although as I age, I'm becoming more extroverted, <laughs> but I know that one of the things that I need is the, uh, I recharge by going within and not, not by having a party, which is what my husband does. <laughs> so I, it, it's a challenge for me to just have that time to be quiet and to go within. And that's really, really important. Whether And whether that's sitting and reading a book, whether that's taking a walk, uh, whether that's doing the New York Times crossword puzzle, uh, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm, I, I, I'm, I can be with myself. Yeah, that's interesting. It sounds like you and uh, Angelo are similar to David and I. <laughs> Dave, yeah, we're, I we're opposites. <laughs> yeah, so John and I are, are quite that way as well. I think that uh, I'm very much an introvert and he's an extrovert. <laughs> uh, he always says, if we were a band, I'd be the lead singer and he'd be the drummer. <laughs> ah, there you go. Well, you know, when I was working, it was really a challenge because I would have a really, really busy week at work. And Angelo, who was raising um, our grandson and was at home, so Friday would come, and his idea of what to do on Friday was to have a party or have people over for dinner or have a dinner party or whatever. And uh, my idea would be to like to to lock the door and veg out and watch and watch, you know, maybe read a book, but probably binge watch something that required no. Uh, no meaningful intelligence to enjoy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we both compromised a bit. Yeah. Well, that's what relationships are about, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Jay, and this is a little bit more of your perspective on what's going on with our community. Um, a, a number of the things that you've talked about have it sounded to me like making an investment in yourself, whether it's an investment in yourself for work, whether it's an investment for yourself for your health or well-being, mental state. Um, and I'm a little curious what you think about the overall um, tone of our community and the investment that um, may not be being made. Uh, and I'm thinking a lot of what we see in the media today may feed into this idea of young people being victims, being um, uh, sexually exploited to a certain degree, or mm -hmm. that, that, that that's what their community needs from them, is for them to be fabulous looking. Um, what is your thought on, on where we are going as a community and the direction that you would like to see the community go? Wow. Wow. Um, I know it's a deep question, but you know, honestly, Jay, I, I think that John and I look up to you as um, as someone who has has made a lot of progress, um, not only in your personal life and in your career, but the the things that you've done outside of that um, that can be a good example for where the rest of our community can be looking to. Well, I tell you, I really, um, I I'm concerned about. Um, I'm concerned that the focus is has has shifted away uh, from really encouraging people 
I'm having a hard time articulating it. I, I, I think there's two things. I see two things happening. One is there's this great fear, given what's going on in the political environment. There's this great fear. And when I get these letters and notes from different organizations, um, they're, they're, they're asking me to make money by uh, just uh, trying their very best to scare me to death. Mm. And I appreciate that there's some things I, I really appreciate that we need to be vigilant. And I, and I really appreciate that we, that we need to stand up for what we believe in and we need to resist. But I don't know that the long term health of our country, of our community, of us as individuals is served by continuing to motivate through fear. So that's, that's one. I, I, I mean, I, I believe that the greatest progress um, and the greatest acceptance I have felt in my own life is by genuinely, genuinely and authentically reaching out to people who come from a very different place and giving them an opportunity to get to know me. And then it's their problem to deal with what comes up because I'm not a horrible person. And, uh, and, and so, um, uh, an organization that I, that I, that I work with KIPP, uh, Bay area schools, but it's the KIPP foundation. Um, knowledge is power program. It's a set of charter schools, which I think does just phenomenal work. But of a gentleman from Tulsa, uh, where one of the, one of the fathers was the individual, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but I think it's Terrence Crutcher was killed by police. And then recently the, uh, police officer was acquitted and it's really been hard for the kids in that school and in that community and for all of the African-Americans in that community. But one of the things he said in a note to the community was, we must continue to reach out to people who are not like us. We must continue to reach out and let them know who we are in ways that show us as um, loving and caring individuals and who we are. And so I, that's, so I, I worry that, that we're, we're, hunkering down into our bunker and we're creating in this echo chamber that they all talk about in the press where we only hear uh, what supports our views and we're not building any bridges mm -hmm. because if we want to be fully who we are, we have to be visible and we have to interact and we have to reach out to those people who don't agree with us and we have to, to reach out to those people who believe we're something that we're not and give them an experience of us. So, um, I, I, I'm, I, I try to remember that in my own life. Um, and I try to remember, uh, that, you know, living in San Francisco is a little bit of a bubble and, you know, push myself to not live in that bubble mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, yeah, I get, I guess that's it. And it's, and it's also, we, the second one I was going to say is there is a tendency to, to resort to a, to stereotypes or categories of gay men. But, um, and, and actually 
you know, I don't want to borrow the political one, but you know, if you happen to be a gay Republican, you're, you're, you're almost villainized. I'm not a gay Republican. So I'm not saying this because I am, <laughs> but, um, but it's like, we've got to be open to diversity in our own community. And it, and, and we've got to reinforce that people should be fully who they are, right. whatever that is. And if you're a, I don't know, pick the stereotype and break it. You know, if you're a, if you're a, I don't know, or, you know, a farmer who, who lives in rural Iowa and, you know, whatever, that's, you're as much a part of the community and we should be supported and reinforced as every, you know, we don't call them clones anymore, but every, you know, gay man walking in West Hollywood. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very powerful. And that's part of the reason why David and I have started to express the need for LGBT people to step, not only step out of the plaza, but step up to the plate and, and put themselves in leadership positions uh, no matter how big their influence is, um, because the more that we can show the value that we add to our community, the more that people will see us for more than our sexual orientation and gender identity, um, but they'll see us for, for our contribution. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and amazing things happen in this little town that I grew up in where I grew up with all these, I, I grew up being fed these very limiting beliefs. I go back now and the the minister of the Episcopal church that I went to from seventh grade on is a lesbian. Um, you know, this family that I thought was this family that I was very close to as a child, my mother was, I thought was so rapidly, uh, homophobic, uh, is speaking out on same sex marriage. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, sizable population of gay men and lesbians who've settled into this town and have been welcomed into the community. And it happened quietly in a way and without fanfare. And, uh, it, it's all taking, it's all sort of fitting into the way things are. And that's what we need. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Do you remember the article we read? There was an article that we read and it talked about there's this wave, and I don't know how big the wave is, but there's this wave in smaller communities reaching out to the LGBT community saying that we may not necessarily agree with you know your chosen lifestyle, quote unquote, um, but we need you as part of our community and we want you to help contribute to our society. And, and it seems to be a trend that's starting to bubble up in smaller communities. It's just not getting as much attention as you know the, the, the horrific events that happen. Right. Well, and I think I told you, it's, I think it's the community equivalent of this story that I think I might have told you in the past. But that's one time I was dating this guy uh, when, I, when I first moved to California and the Briggs Initiative had, it, it was only a couple of years old. That's when they wanted to ban gay teachers. Mm -hmm. I remember him saying to me, it's like, you know, what do they think I do as a teacher? You know, he taught Spanish. He said, uh, what do they think I do as a teacher? I walk into the classroom and say, hey, I'm gay. Now let's learn Spanish. <laughs> um, and, 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 and then I came to realize over time, it's like the same thing at work. You know, I worked for Charles Schwab. I knew Chuck Schwab very well. It, it, you know, at the end of the day, Chuck Schwab wants people who can help his franchise, his business, grow and be successful and the stock value go up. It's like, yeah, there are hobby lobbies around and those are those businesses. I realize that. But the vast majority, it's like, 
can you help me get accomplished what I want to accomplish? Community level, it's the same thing, right? You know, can you help make this be a safe, thriving community where we want to live and raise our families? Exactly. It's powerful. So what advice would you have to somebody today starting out their career? They're just graduating college and they're going off into the working world. Any, um, any sage wisdom? Um, be who you are and, and spend the time that you need to to figure that out. So be who you are. Don't be a victim. It's a real big waste of time. <laughs> if you're if you're wait if you're working for a company that you don't believe in, you don't believe in what their what their purpose is or why they exist. You don't believe in the way you're being treated. Don't whine about it. Just go do something about it. Leave. Go get another job. And I know there are people who work in jobs where, and I don't want to sound like I don't understand this. I know there are people working really tight labor markets who it's very hard to find a job. Um, but really weigh the price. If you're graduating from college, really weigh the price of, of feeling like you're a victim against just doing what you need to do to feel empowered. And then, man, let your work be, let your work tell the story for you. Do a great job. Exactly. Absolutely. Good idea. A follow-up to that. I, I think there are a lot of people, especially the way the economy has been, who feel stuck in a particular position. Um, they might be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. What advice do you have for somebody who feels stuck um, and needs to muster the courage to, to make that kind of move that you talked about? Well, I think... Uh, if you feel you're stuck, seems to me the most important thing for you to do is to figure out why and who's sticking you. Because <laughs> uh, I think, you know, if I'm stuck. I can't do anything about it. Uh, and I would say, I, I can think of a, a very recent conversation. It's like, well, I'm stuck. You know, if I stay here for two more years, I'll be vested and I'll have... Uh, benefit, you know, I'll have healthcare benefits for life. And, uh, and I really want to get that. And I said, well, then you know what, you're not stuck. You made a choice, you've decided that's the most important thing to you. Be okay with it. Uh, if on the other hand, you're, you're like, well, because I'm scared, uh, or I, or I, you know, I got bills to pay, and I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. Okay figure out what it is that's sticking you. And then once you're really clear on what it is, then I think you'll, you'll have a better chance of figuring out the plan to work around it. But a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people that I'm stuck is, is, um, hasn't been deconstructed to really understand how so and by whom. Right. Is it external or is sometimes it's internal? You're sticking yourself. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Right. I think. It's, thank you for answering those questions. We. Um, I think those are very poignant questions for right now, and we know um, several people who um, both those questions are applicable to. So I think that's that's great advice. Yeah. So, I think that um, Jay, we we want to thank you again for for coming and sharing your time with us. Um, we've talked a little bit about your career of where you've gone uh, or, or where you've been. Where are you going? Where where's the what's what's next for Jay Allen? <laughs> I'm not in, uh, <laughs> I'm not entirely 
certain. Uh, I'm still doing a little bit of consulting work because I, I like the work that I did and um, I enjoy the people that I accept the consulting work with. I enjoy working with them and, and helping them with their businesses. I retired at the age that I did because I made a promise to myself that all the time and energy that went into uh, my job, that I would give that to all the other things in my life that are, that are important to me. And I'm going through this period of sort of discovering what they are and, uh, and, and, and actually playing with, uh, like trying a number of things to see whether I like them. I, I, as an example, uh, the whole time I was working, Angelo was always the guy who cooked meals and he cooked a lot. And when we entertained, he's the one who made the dinners. I don't know what it was. I, I got out of, I, I had a little more free time. I was like, gee, I kind of like this cooking thing. I went to cooking school. Uh, I, I, I got more confidence. I started experimenting with it. Now I'm the guy who cooks all the time and I, <laughs> and I, and I love it. And I, it's not a vocation, uh, but it certainly is a creative outlet. Uh, anyway, the way I do it is. <laughs> and um, and uh, that's just an example. So I, I want to be, I want, and I feel really, really fortunate that I can. I'm very, very grateful that I'm able to do this. I, I want to clear up enough space so that I can see what comes in. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that one of the things I, I will just say, what I appreciate, appreciate one of the things you just said was that you put in all this time and effort in your career and now you're making it worthwhile because it's adding value to your life. The opportunities are the things that you're opening yourself up to now. And I think that that's one of the things that many people struggle with today is that they devote all of this energy and time to their career whether it's positive energy or negative energy, they're, they're dedicating right. this energy to their career. Make it worth it. Make it worth it when it's done. When it when you're all done with it, make the, all of that effort worth it. Not to just regret it. Regret it, or only be able to retire for a couple of years and then be exactly. Done. Well, my you know I've known people, and I can I got a, I got a face in my mind right now of someone that I worked with at Schwab, and she works really hard and she loves it. It gives her enormous satisfaction and enormous joy in her life. And so she wants to work till she's 75. She should knock herself out because, right. because it's what gives her pleasure and joy. Um, my dad, on the other hand, worked, 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 and you know, he retired and two years later he died. Mm. And that was very much in my mind when I was making my decision, it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, I am not, I don't, I had a great career. I'm very grateful. I am, have no complaints, but, uh, that, that they are not going to put my, they, I mean, I know it's cliche. They are not going to put my title in the memorial bulletin <laughs> for my, when I die, right. won't be there. And I think it's more likely that the things I do in this stage of my life and what I discover is important to me is much more likely to show up there. Nice. Yeah. So, awesome. so Stephen Covey, thinking with the end in mind. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs>
So I, Jay, Dave and I want to thank you so much for giving us more of your time. We could sit here for hours and, and <laughs> soak up all your, uh, all your inspiration and, and wisdom. Um, so that's why we definitely have to get together when you're out here in, uh, in I think hopefully September or we're in San Francisco next, but thank you for your time coming on the show again. And, uh, we, we appreciate, uh, all that you have to offer. Thank you for what you guys are doing. I think it's really important and really valuable. And I'm just delighted for the press that you've got. Thank you. Thank you very much. We want to thank Jade Allen again for his time. His career and leadership inspired both John and me to do more to help our community. We appreciate his courage to not be a victim and his strong desire to see our community focus less on fear and more on the strength or the strength of our diversity. Thanks again, Jay. Diversity is something more companies are seeing value in today. Some companies are taking that a step further. If you haven't watched the video, Vow to Protect, on YouTube, we encourage you to go check this out. This is a video that MassMutual created all around the idea of us being stronger individuals because we have the ability to be married. We challenge you to watch the video without getting a tear in your eye. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you next week. Okay. We just serviced you, now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all my my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so... From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.